evidence and answers. Is homosexuality a sin? Does the Bible have it all wrong when it comes to homosexual behavior? Or are we just misinterpreting what the Bible says about this subject? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today we will hear from a man who was fully immersed in homosexuality. Why did he embrace homosexual behavior? And what led him to a woman and become a happily married husband and father to four? You will hear his story as we explore the issue of homosexuality and society from a biblical perspective. Many questions do come to mind, such as, can a person who says they are gay change and become heterosexual? Is there a genetic link to homosexual behavior? These and so much more will be discussed on this edition of Evidence and Answers. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss this episode. Now, let's jump right in. Here's Pat and his guests speaking about homosexual behavior. Well, with us today are two uh, fantastic guests. We have with us Mr. Tom Cole. He's the director of Living Hope, Arlington, Texas, a ministry to those in the gay community. He's a father of four and married to a former lesbian. They've been married for 14 and a half years, and Tom also comes out of the gay lifestyle. And we also have with us my good friend Sue Bolin. She's also on staff with Probe Ministries and on the board of trustees with Living Hope. Well, welcome, you two. Glad to have you on the show. Glad to be Glad here. Glad to be here. Well, let's start off with you, Tom. Tell us your story. How did it all happen? Well, um, I was the third son, hope four daughter in a family of six. Um, my mother really wanted to girl and uh, she was very disappointed when it turned out to be a boy and I remember very early on her telling me that if I would have been a girl my name would have been Debbie and didn't help I had big brown eyes long eyelashes rosy cheeks and uh, so I was mistaken for a girl a lot of times growing up by uh, women in the neighborhood and such. And it really messed with my concept of who I was as a boy. Um, also, never connected with my father. We were very emotionally distant. He wasn't um, able to really give emotionally. I, I see now that he just never really liked kids. Um, so you wonder why he decided to have six of them. <laughs> um, so uh, so he just never connected with any of us kids. And for me, it, it led to me putting up a wall, um, keeping all males out. So when I went to school, um, I never connected with my male peers. I connected with girls in my classrooms. They were safe to me, but boys were not safe. And so um, there was this huge deficit in my life of male a- affirmation pervasive pattern of uh, growing up under a distant father and you just don't make that male connection, you don't bond with your father. That seems to be a prevalent theme here. It's very prevalent and the men that come to our ministry, I would say 98% of them have those similar circumstances in their lives. I don't know this is probably a deep issue, but at that point, how does that separation from the father, that distancing from male figures and so forth, turn into something erotic? You eroticize that. Is it a curiosity? I I think it happens with um, experimentation, and and often boys will experiment sexually in their junior high years when they're going through puberty. Um, I just think with the onset of puberty that that need becomes sexualized. It becomes eroticized through puberty. Um, And so um, that's what I found. Uh, I was molested at the age of eight, which 
um, was an older boy in the neighborhood who showed some attention to me. And it really mixed me up because I, there was pleasurable experiences with it. Um, there was a tremendous guilt and shame, um, but there was also that attention. It was a boy paying attention to me. So I mixed attention with sexualization. And so mm-hmm. as a result of that, um, I was very confused going into puberty. And puberty came and uh, noticed all the boys. Charlie's Angels was real big then. The boys in the neighborhood were all, and my brothers were all, you know, attracted to Charlie's Angels. And I found myself attracted to men. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this was the 70s. You just didn't go around telling people that. People weren't coming out of the closet in high school. And so I kept my life a secret and managed to keep it through high school. And um, at the age of 19, went into college and got involved in a vocal jazz singing group where there was an openly gay man. And he introduced me to the gay community in Detroit. He was the first person that I said, that I told that I was gay. And it was like this tremendous burden that I had carried was lifted off of me for the first time. And so um, I plunged into the gay community in Detroit, uh, took a job as a, a waiter in a gay restaurant, and really got involved in the community and um, really thought I had found my place. For the first time, I felt affirmed, and I received attention and love. And so it really filled that void in my life, and I thought, this is it. This is the answer. But after a year to two years, I began to see that um, relationships didn't last mine or those of those around me, um, that they were very short term, that there was a lot of promiscuity, a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs. And I became very disillusioned. And with that disillusionment came sexual addiction, drug addiction, alcoholism. And uh, so anything that would medicate my pain, I took advantage of. And uh, during that period of time, I, I had probably four to 500 sexual partners, something I'm certainly not proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a reality that's out there um, because we're trying to fill that void and it just doesn't get filled. It can't be filled that, that way. That was pre-AIDS too, wasn't it? That so. was during the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really miraculous. I never had protected sex. It's miraculous. I don't have AIDS. And I accredit that to, to the Lord that he, for some reason, spared me that. And um, I got to a point where um, I was absolutely miserable and uh, went to a church with a woman I worked with and uh, um, heard the the first time the gospel and responded to that and accepted the Lord in 1986. And um, I I can tell you the grass was greener, the sky was bluer, everything was different. Um, And the addictive drive that had me going out five to seven nights a week um, was broken. Um, Unfortunately, the attractions were still there. And uh, so there wasn't, I had never heard of anyone changing um, in the gay life, um, never heard of ex-gays or Exodus International, and um, ended up um, just working through issues on my own. I did reading on my own and exploring issues, um, got some really awesome prayer by some women who understood the issues I was going through, and God began to bring me out. And during that process, I befriended a former lesbian I went to church with. And over a period of time, she was just a friend, but after a while, I realized I was attracted to her, and um, that attraction was frightening. You know, <laughs> it was really um, just so different for me. I never experienced anything like that before, and I didn't know how to deal with it. And um, 
mutual friend we had both shared our feelings with shared with me that Donna was interested in me as well. And so we began a courtship and uh, we married in 1988 and uh, started having a family. We have four kids now and we began to minister out of our home and eventually joined a ministry in the Detroit area and worked there for nine years assisting other people who wanted to come out of homosexuality. Oh, that's a great story. And I guess you addressed the, the question, the million-dollar question uh, we're asking, is it possible for those in a gay lifestyle to change? Is that possible? Absolutely, and, and there's thousands of us um, out there in the United States who have changed and who are ready to proclaim that. Um, Exodus International has an annual conference where usually a 1,000 people show up, um, and many of them newcomers. So there, I know hundreds, literally hundreds of people who have changed. Yeah, and uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 also states, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual, immoral, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. And the list goes on and says, That is what some of you were. And so here in the Church of Corinth, there are many who had come out of the gay lifestyle. Well, uh, Tom and Sue, what is the process of change, the things that you struggle with that you go through as you try to make this change? It's really about Jesus. It's really about discipleship. One time, Living Hope had a, a, a retreat at a nearby conference facility where there were other people, and every, we, we are very strongly protective of people's confidentiality. And we were saying, what do we say if people say, well, what are you here for? said, we're a discipleship group, which is very true, because the closer you get to the Lord Jesus and you listen to what he has to say about you, and I am, I am the one who can fill that core neediness that you have, then he starts walking us into who he made us to be. It doesn't matter what our issues are. It's all about intimacy with Christ. Yeah, and and the the root issues, um, the root issue in my life and in most everyone that comes to us is they've never connected with the same sex in a healthy way, and so it's teaching them how to build healthy same sex friendships and relationships, and working through feelings of. Um, uh, um, sexual attraction to those people we're building relationships with and working through those feelings and building those healthy relationships to, as well. Which it's is a, one of the reasons why being involved in churches is so important because you can get into Bible studies and Sunday school classes and ABFs where you can just have friends of the same sex with no agenda and that is incredibly healing whether you're a man or a woman. Well, what about those who say, well, I've tried it and it didn't work. What do you have to say to that? You know, I've been doing this uh, for the past 10 years, and uh, I've seen anybody who puts forth the effort, who really has a desire um, to, to follow God's path and be a disciple of Christ, can, can achieve that change in their life. Um, that doesn't mean to say that everyone will have no uh, zero uh, attraction to the same sex, but they've got tools to deal with those issues. And so um, we see a gamut of of uh, people coming, uh, the results they end up with, and um, we see people who get total freedom and end up going into heterosexual relationships and get married and have families. We see people who make the decision to follow Christ regardless of their feelings, and they follow after him, and they have the tools necessary to really 
uh, achieve a, a life and a holy life and, and one with fellowship with others. Tom, are there two kinds of ex-gays, uh, those who embrace heterosexuality and then those who don't but remain celibate? We're not here to get people married. That's not our purpose in ministry. Marriage is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is wholeness and feeling secure in who you are as a man or as a woman made in God's image. And so that really is our purpose, is to make them secure in who they are and and how to deal with the feelings and the reactions that they might have in life. I was going to say uh, the reason that some people say, well, I tried it and it didn't work, is that they had unrealistic expectations to begin with. It was like wanting to get an ex-gay card and you get it punched and boom, you walk out and you're fine. But it's the same way with someone trying to deal with drug addiction or with alcoholism or uh, how about much closer to home, uh, a, a lifelong pattern of overeating. You don't change those things overnight. You don't do it in a matter of weeks. You don't do it in a matter of months. It takes a long time to overcome that kind of life pattern. Tom Cole, the director of Living Hope in Arlington, and Sue Bolin, a colleague at Pro Ministries, but also she serves on the board of trustees of Living Hope. And we're answering the question, can gays change? Is it possible to change? And our guest here is Tom is living proof that it is possible to change. Now, Tom, we know that change doesn't occur right away. There are things that you still struggle with. And what are some of those struggles that many who are trying to change from the gay lifestyle to a, a normal a heterosexual uh, lifestyle, what are some of the major struggles they're struggling with during this time of trying to change? Well, I think the, the main thing is feeling secure in their own gender identity, who they are as a man or woman, masculine and feminine. And we're not just male and female, we're masculine and feminine. Male and female talks about your body and, and, and who you are. Um, the masculine and feminine talks about your identity, who you are deep inside. And so um, you have to work through that process of accepting who God created you to be and being comfortable in your own skin as a man or a woman. And uh, so often um, what people don't understand is as a gay man, um, I was attracted to men, but I feared men. Um, because I didn't understand them and, and there was a mystery surrounding them because I never connected with them well. And so uh, that comes through, as I said before, a real connecting with the same sex and healthy relationships. Well, what about those who say, well, I was born gay. I can't help it. That's how God made me. And so this is the lifestyle I should accept and stay in. Well, there's just absolutely no proof uh, that anyone's born gay. Um, even if they do at some point come up with some kind of scientific discovery that says that, I still won't change my mind because God's word is very clear on the issue. Um, but if you look at the scientific evidence to date, there's nothing proving that, that homosexuality is genetic. And I believe there's so much more evidence showing that it comes through uh, a person's temperament combined with environment. And so... Um, I guess everyone's born with a temperament. I have four kids. Each one was born with a personality. You could tell it right, right from the beginning. And I believe that some people have a temperament that is more susceptible to that if the right environment is there. So, But to say someone's born gay, I just don't agree with. I suggest that uh, in the same way that you know, I'll ask people, were you born an English speaker? You know, that's all you've ever known. It's the most natural thing in the world. Well, no, you weren't born an English speaker. You were born a language speaker. We are made to be speakers of language, but you were shaped by the environment that you grew up in, and that's why you're an English speaker. 
the fact that it feels so normal is about where you grew up in the same way that a lot of people will say, well, of course, I, I had to have been born gay because I've never known anything different. And that's just about being comfortable in that skin of, of in that chosen that that understanding of their identity. But it doesn't mean they were born that way. And so. Um, one of the things in our culture that's one of the lies that's being told is, well, people are born gay, end of discussion. And so the next question is, and what is the proof for that? Because there isn't any proof. There is even the, the, the doctor who was perceiving or, or pursuing a study to find a gay gene mm-hmm. has said, look, there is no one gay gene. But you don't hear that in the popular media. So the the question I have I'm always going to be asking is and what study proves that people are born gay and and people are just well um well I'm sure it's out there. Well no it's not. You know, just go ahead and and look. But people need to know that it's not true. Another big myth is the 10% myth. That 10% of the population is gay. Far from that. Mm-hmm. Maybe one and a half to two percent. Right. And also, I think there's another belief that is often uh, said from the Christian side of things is that homosexuality is a choice. And I I disagree with that premise because um, there was no one day where I woke up and said, you know, I think I'll be gay. It was a series of events in my life that pushed me towards that point. And I don't think I, I, I chose to act on those feelings, but I never asked for those feelings. I never chose those feelings. I don't think anybody would. Hmm. Well, Tom, writing uh, on that question is, is the change lasting? Can we expect it to be permanent or is it just a temporary thing? Well, I believe it, following the Lord is uh, always lasting and change and fruit in our lives is permanent. And um, I'm living proof of it so far since 1986 um, and and I know so many people who have been out of the gay life for 30, 40, even 50 years, and they're still following after the Lord, still pursuing uh, more wholeness in their life. And so I believe it is lasting if we follow after him and, and really seek what his will is in our lives. I guess another question we have is then how can the church reach out to the gay community? I know we have been behind uh, on this. I attended a AIDS a seminar in California, and uh, all you know, government-funded uh, groups and other social organizations have been reaching out to patients with AIDS, and there was no one from the church there. Finally, one uh, Christian man stood up, and uh, he said, "We are, you know, I represent the Church of Christ, and and we'd like to be involved in this." And the speaker looked at him and he said, "Well, welcome. You're really late." Whoa. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's very true, unfortunately. It starts with people knowing what the truth is, that there were ex-gays in the church at Corinth. This is not a new phenomenon. People need to know what the truth is about the power of Jesus Christ to change lives. People need to hear stories like that of Tom, that Jesus Christ changed my life. And they need to, to get to know people who have struggled with this in the past as friends and as people, not as them or the enemy or, or somebody on the other side. We need to understand we are the church. It doesn't matter what our struggles are. So a lot of right right now, the big issue is going to be education. Pat, the if, there's, if there's another question I could ask real quick, and that is something that you said earlier, Tom, about how boys do experimentation, pre-adolescent and adolescent uh, camp outs and so forth. You'll see some sexual experimentation going on between same sex. Uh, we view that as basically uh, to be expected or normal or whatever. I mean, what bothers me is that in this climate that 
that experimentation can, rather than go in a heterosexual direction eventually, take its normal course, can be encouraged to remain and maybe go in a homosexual course because it is so cool and because it is so prominent because of everything that's been going on in the media and the popularity of, uh, of uh, the homosexual lifestyle in the media. Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to see a whole new influx of people. Um, I call them the non-gay homosexual. <laughs> um, and basically, as they never felt that deep ingrained identity from early on. Most of us who come out of homosexuality say, I've felt this way since I was six. And we're seeing a whole new generation of people coming out that are in, being encouraged in public school that how do you know if you're gay unless you try it? And they try it, and uh, if a boy has a, a fumbling um, uncomfortable sexual experience with a girl, he may find it much more comfortable with someone who he understands. And because that's a more comfortable uh, sexual experience, may think, well, I must be gay. And they they really encourage them to pursue that. And so I think we're going to see a whole slew of people coming that don't have the deep ingrained issues that we do that have been encouraged to pursue an experiment with homosexuality. And the way that the brains work as well, you know, you get a certain pattern going of habits and thoughts and those connections, and and it literally makes a groove in the brain, biochemically and physically. And so every time they reproduce those feelings by doing the same thing, it just, it's, it's building a habit. In the same way that, um, on a completely different page, if you start typing hunt and peck, you know, method on the keyboard and you're using only two, two or four fingers, it's way harder to switch over to, you know, the, the 10 key, 10, 10 fingers on the home key kind of thing. It's harder to undo bad habits to begin, to start in the beginning. And so, you know, when you've got this happening where people start introducing their body to this is how I do sexual experience, it's, it's going to be very, uh, it's going to be a challenge to undo what was done. Yeah, I guess both of you, what are some programs or ways churches can reach out to those in the gay community? I know there's a lot of hostility going on between both parties, a lot of condemnation being thrown both ways. So how can the church in a real loving way reach out and really impact those in the gay community and invite them to come on in? Well, the thing that led me to want uh, Christ and his community was the love of one woman really reaching out to me and not judging me. I was a foul-mouthed, openly gay, obnoxious human being, and she never judged me. She never said, Tom, homosexuality is wrong. Tom, your language is wrong. The way you live is wrong. She just showed me the love of Christ. And that really drew me to her and drew me to what she had, to, to the, where it got to the point where I said, I, I don't know what she's got, but I've got to have it. And so um, I think we have to show love. I think that that's a, something that's really lacking. And we have to see um, people as individuals and as people and not an agenda. Um, what we see in the media is an agenda, and it's the loudest people um, making the, the loudest noise. And that truly is not the majority of the people. The majority of the people live quiet lives, and and they're looking for answers. So I think we have the ability to share that with them in, in, in an environment of love and, and giving them time to walk through that process and, and loving them through that, even as they stumble. 
We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series on homosexuality and Christianity at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. You'll find Pat Zuckerman's interviews with leading scholars and speakers on the most crucial issues facing the church and the world. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and be equipped. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series on homosexuality and Christianity is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org. 